0: Jude chapter 1, verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So it's been happening from the beginning, the devil devouring people using religion as one of his weapons. So what is a cult? And the word cult, unfortunately, it's often used in Christian circles to describe other religious groups they typically don't like or understand. But realistically, what does the word mean? And if you look for definitions, there are many and not all are the same. But my understanding of a religious cult leads me to define the word as a group who teaches things contrary to crucial biblical doctrines, claims to be the only true church, controls their people in many areas of their lives through shame, intimidation, threats of eternal damnation if they leave the church, refusing to receive biblical correction on erroneous teaching, only allowing their own created literature to be used to study the religion, and of course the two big ones, denying Jesus as God in the flesh and adding works to the free gift of salvation. And that's my loose definition. But one thing that I have learned when studying this issue, and not just at a desk, but by interacting with people from these groups, is there is a difference between being a cult and being cult-ish. For example, I visited a friend's church several times while vacationing in his state over a period of time. And it was a good church, solid doctrine, people who loved Jesus, people who were coming out of darkness and genuinely coming to the light of Christ. Over time, the pastor began to behave much like a classic cult leader, where his word was final and how things needed to go his way when everyone else is looking at each other bewildered. And over the course of a couple of years, the pastor went off the rails and was removed, but he wormed his way back into his pastoral role. And as a result, many solid believers left. Really understanding this issue, in my opinion, is understanding that the devil can take charge of people. He can create churches. He can infiltrate churches very easily, even churches that are solid in their teaching. So as believers, what should we do when we're talking to a member of a church that is deemed a religious cult? And I was taught to confront their teaching and make them see their error, so that they could make a decision whether to stay in that church or leave and get saved. The problem was it didn't work for me. I tried that approach, and it usually ended up in an argument with a person because one of the things cults do is they teach their people how to defend against the arguments of those opposing them. In other words, those who are teaching the Bible. And most believers don't know their Bibles well enough or have the love of God in them to demonstrate to these people that the Bible is solid and their teachings are heresy. So having a pastor friend who lives in the midst of a huge population of those who attend churches labeled cults I have found the same success when dealing with these people as he has. You love them. You show them the love of Jesus first. Then when the Holy Spirit says go, you go from there. Now, I want to be clear on something. A believer's job is to proclaim the truth, no doubt. And that should always be in the forefront of our minds. But how we proclaim it is key. Do we only have one method of witnessing to others? An in-your-face method where we crush their arguments? That doesn't work well, and I know several people who have used this approach and have had some degree of success, but they also end up in these really heated arguments where nobody wins except the devil, and sometimes they completely blow their witness. Being filled and led by the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, allows God to impact the person by speaking through the believer to the heart of the other person and saying those things that are appropriate and needed in that moment. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, where it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So that promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is what Peter says that they're going to receive. That's why it's so important to pursue this, the power of God moving through a believer to accomplish his will. And those people Peter was referring to, they needed the truth to settle in their souls this powerful message spoken by Peter. They were religious and open to hear from the Lord as the Holy Spirit used Peter to speak these words to them, and they suddenly realized their need for the truth. It wasn't Peter's great preaching skills. It wasn't his approach. It wasn't his tactics. It was the presence of God speaking through one of his vessels who truly believes and obeys God. And Peter says the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is not simply limited to a few people. Rather, it's for everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. That means if we are called, which John 6.44 clearly reveals that we are called by the Father to Jesus, where Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. But continue reading in verse forty five as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God, every one who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. so in our day, the Holy Spirit is teaching us the things of God, God's presence in us, teaching us, leading us, convicting us, empowering us, etc and we have been called by the Father to the Son, and now the Holy Spirit resides within us. so those who we are ministering to we would do a lot better at being led by the Spirit than reciting things taught in classes, addressing witnessing to cult members. And that's what Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 is all about. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. So in witnessing, trusting in the Lord's ability to speak through you and not depending on your education and all this information you've amassed regarding cults, rather acknowledging God in our actions, not just in our words, that creates the opportunity for God to strengthen out the crooked paths in our lives. We trust in Him. Relying on the Holy Spirit to lead our conversations is huge. And David knew the value of the Holy Spirit when he said in Psalm fifty one eleven, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And this psalm is all about repentance, and David knew what repentance and forgiveness was all about. He also understood his need for the Holy Spirit so he could expect conviction over decisions made in the flesh before they blew up, and he had a few of those. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice this is spoken in the past tense. Prophets were around a long time before Peter, and the Old Testament is full of them. The Holy Spirit spoke through them the words of God for those prophets to declare to the people whatever God's will was. And now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all who believe, do you think the Holy Spirit stopped speaking through his people? On many occasions, the most recent being two weeks ago, I taught a simple message from the Word, and the Holy Spirit drove at least one person to repentance and and others complimented me on the lesson. And my response is always, praise the Lord, man. But honestly, I get kind of irritated because I teach constantly on being filled with the Holy Spirit and obeying the Word so I can expect them to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one that touched their hearts, not me. First 1 Corinthians 1.27 But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I get this. When I became a believer and began to meet people in ministry, I understood that God uses unqualified people for his purposes. And many people I met who were really solid in the Lord were just as dumb as I was. And when you look at this list, it's encouraging who God chooses. The foolish, the weak, the low and despised. Perfect. I qualify. And if someone compliments me on something the Holy Spirit did, I know I cannot take credit for this because I am foolish, weak, low, and despised. I get that. So the only bragging rights I have in ministry is to say, hey, look what Jesus just did. And that's not false humility. That's 1 Corinthians one twenty-nine. No human being might boast in the presence of God. It's being honest. God does the work, not us. And what God will do with you is awesome if you allow the Holy Spirit to do the talking. And this means spending time in prayer and the Word, drawing close to Jesus repentance is also a huge part of the relationship with the Holy Spirit in us. If we're disobeying God in our hearts and our minds, that sends a clear message to the Holy Spirit that we want to do our own thing and trust in our own understanding and not God's. So that life, obeying Jesus, will produce a light in us that is seen by the world. And this is what cult members need. They need to see the light in us. And that light doesn't come cheap. It requires we surrender all to Jesus and seek his will. My wife and I had a few lengthy conversations with a guy our age who had been in a church that was labeled a cult, and neither of us condemned him. Rather, we just shared what Jesus had done in our lives and showed him kindness. And he showed up at my house about a month later, which really bugged me because my wife was home alone and I was at work. And she called me and said, hey, this guy came over and I called him like, what's up? And he said that after talking with us, he saw in us what he had always longed for, a life of peace and love. So he left that church and was subsequently blackballed by them. And what's crazy is we didn't really do anything remarkable, in my opinion. We just leveled with him. But he saw the light of Jesus in us, and that's what prompted him to pull the trigger and leave his lifelong church. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in those who simply trust him and allow the work to be done through them, not trying to do the work themselves. It's a lot easier that way, especially when things get crazy, because... Some of these conversations can turn toxic in a second and end up with a really bad result. For being jerks about it, it's not going to make it any easier. So, dealing with cult members, remember Jesus died for them as well. He loves them, and He may on occasion use you to shed light in their lives as a father draws them to Jesus, just like He did with us. Thank you.